You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. And the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I, I'm sure you all have figured by now, I'm a bit of an emotional person. And so days like this, uh, I get very reflective and hearing, man, Jen, you did such a good job this morning. My God. My God. And so, you know, there's, there's days, I, I read something stupid online, it said something like, it, uh, pay attention to Jesus and ignore your feelings, and please never, never listen to that garbage. Like, gee, how many times have you ever said, I felt like God is talking to me? He works through our feelings. We don't have to live in those false choices. Our feelings are stirred by God for reasons that we need to pay attention to. And on a day like today, I'm just, I'm in awe. Um, when everybody's talking about moms, I'm, uh, I'm just thinking about the time that my parents, we had like this enclosed front porch in one of our houses, and one day they said, that can be your bedroom. And I'm like, you guys are dumb. You're going to let my bedroom be the front porch? Yeah, I was home. Yeah, 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 I went to bed at 10. Like, and I remember this one time I'm out with my friends, and it's, it's ridiculously late, and we're, you don't need to know, but we're being stupid. And I come home, man, and I came home slick. It was perfect. I made no noise. I was like the FBI. And I turn on the light, and my mom is sitting there. I'm like, how in God's name? You should be asleep. And I didn't understand then. It seemed controlling. Just let me come home whenever I want to. Why are you controlling me? But now that I've watched somebody stay up all night long with an infant, She's going to be up until Theo gets home forever. It's not controlling. It's this massive amount of love that's indescribable, and men fail to be able to describe it because we just don't have it like that. And it's just an incredible thing to watch. And so I wanted, I wanted, and I felt very, very led to thank Jacqueline in a way that is not just some ancillary announcement before the sermon, but it's actually part of it is actually part of it. And so I'm actually going to start here in the middle of the sermon, then we'll back up, and then we'll move to the end. And I was thinking to myself about how wonderful of a mom she is, how I have truly been held by the men in my life, but I have been deeply formed by the women in my life. Deeply formed. Obviously, you know, my mom was a great mom. I mean, look, I'm doing, you know, like, she's winning. No, she, 
just relentlessly there, like relentlessly there, knows my feelings before I have them, kind of mom, and is right all the time about me. And then, I, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, I, I'm blessed to have been able to marry Jacqueline and Jacqueline's mom, Cheryl. I mean, if, if there's, I think I'm the most fervent pursuer of Jesus Christ in the church, my mother-in-law is nipping at my heels, man. She is obsessed with Jesus. And I've just been reaping the benefits of her relationship with the Lord every day that I wake up next to one of the most perfect people I've ever known in my entire life. And I was thinking this morning about what makes the, like everything we would describe about a Christian mom, you know, non-Christian moms can be present, there, loving, caring, nurturing, all of those things. What makes it different? What is the thing uh, that we can't describe? I think back in the day, American Idol used to say, like, you have that thing. You have that X factor. It's the thing that nobody can describe, but it's there. And, and what is it about a Christian mom? And as I was thinking about it, I had a vision of Jacqueline, my mom, and Beverly Orquist putting this fabric up on the cross. I'm going to kill you guys right now. I'm going to go over here. So they always get mad at me when I move. They said they loved it when my foot was broken because I couldn't move. I'm going to go over here for a second. But there's reasons for every single thing we do. And I saw the three of them, Jacqueline, my mother, and Beverly Orquist putting the fabrics on the cross. And the reason why I saw them is because Jacqueline and my mom always put the fabric on the cross. And Beverly has generously hemmed all of the fabrics we have for the Eucharist altar and for this. All of these things are deeply meaningful. They're deeply meaningful. And I was thinking to myself, typical good works, typical good works are things that anybody can do, right? It's not like Christians are the only ones who can be loving. So what changes it? And I saw the fabric before it went on the cross as typical good work, the good work that everybody should be doing. We might want to call it like being a responsible citizen, right? Like just the good things that people should be doing, humanitarianism kind of stuff. And that's great. And I'm so glad, and I think the world benefits from the fact that even non-Christians can be good like that. But when I saw in my mind the fabric going onto the cross, you see, like, imagine this fabric as a, just a square sheet being held up any, like, that's just regular good works. But then a Christian woman takes that and drapes it on the cross. And it changes into a particular shape, the shape of Jesus making us holy, the shape of the sacred meal, the shape of the altar in the form of a cross holding that sacred meal. When, when we take the typical good works and we wrap them around the person of Jesus Christ, they become very different than typical good works. And the difference is they become holy. And we said many times that holiness is not primarily good behavior. Holiness is when your life makes somebody else's life better. That's what the cross did for us. The cross is not an expression of Jesus' perfect behavior. It's an expression of how God's life touches our life 
and makes our life better. There are people who can be really good, but Christians can be holy. And holiness makes other people holy. And that is the beginning of me failing to get at what I appreciate in my wife. I've watched her good works wrap themselves around me, wrap themselves around Sophia, wrap themselves around Theo, because they are wrapped around Jesus. And we're becoming better people because she drapes her life over the cross. Because she was raised by a mom who's draped her life over the cross. Words at this point will just continue to fail to talk about the meaning of that. But I want us all to understand this. That it's not just about being good. It's about taking that, those good works. Even our good works need to be baptized into the cross. So they can go from being good to being holy. And it's holiness that changes people's lives. It's why you can be in the middle of a storm. I'm going to preach for a second. Jacqueline, you're going to come up here in a second, but I'm going to preach for a second. There are times when we drape our good works over the cross, and it's us repenting. Has anybody needed to repent before? That's when we drape the purple fabric over the cross. That's when we take our works and we're like, I messed up, and we repent, and that's the season of Lent. Has anybody ever done something good and you realize that is so far beyond me, the Holy Spirit must have animated that in me? That's when we drape the red fabric for Pentecost over the cross. Today, there's gold. Has anybody just looked back in their life and said, you know, at any point in my life, man, I'm not doing so good. I'm not doing so good. Still feel like I'm not doing so good. And then all of a sudden, in the mentality of I'm not doing so good, you look at where you've come from and you're like, I'm doing good. I've changed so subtly. Like, you ever, you ever see somebody's kid, and then six months later, you see them again, you're like, oh, my gosh, they grew up. And then the parents are like, I, I didn't even notice them growing. Like, that's, ref, that's being refined. That's when we drape our works on the cross and say, God, thank you for the long history, the refining of the gold. I mean, we can go on and on about the baptism and the white and the Lent and the blue and, and the Advent and the blue when our works are just birthed from a revelation that God gave us, things that... We just have no earthly way of knowing that we did it and it worked and we didn't know how that was possible because the Spirit's revealing stuff to us even when we're not listening because he's good. And so that's why we have this stuff here because left to itself, these fabrics can be anywhere, but they're draped in particular ways. The, the means of grace that God has given us, the cross, the altar, the Eucharist, they drape our works in a particular way that the world looks at it and says, if I reach out and touch that, the issue of blood might stop. There's something about their works that make me better when I'm around them. And that's the Spirit of God emanating from us. So with all of that said, would you please just put your hands together for Jacqueline? We have a small gift for you. Come on up here. Where are they? Look at this. Thank you. I am grateful uh, for my family, of course, for uh, making me feel treasured. <laughs> Um, I'm thankful for this church family that treasures uh, women's voices 
I'm thankful for uh, the, um, all the women in this church, all my sisters of various ethnicities and cultures and personalities um, that I get to hear all of your voices and they're not just paraded around or acted like it's a, a checkbox to check off, but that we actually value every woman's voice here. So Amen. thank you women for sharing. Thank you. Desiree and the dance team for your voice this morning that came both from your mouth and from your feet and your movements. Um, I appreciate that. I appreciate that you're speaking on behalf of the uh, very Christ-like action of all the women that were fighting for civil rights, uh, the martyrs that were uh, martyred for that cause. Obviously, God cares very much about justice. And so thank you uh, for reminding us of that, that they are now saints alive with Christ, that they're worshiping with us. And thank you for reminding us of that. Thank you all again. Just drag her down. Just drag her down. Uh, you may be seated. I, I, I just take that, fellas. Take that, John. made me do all that. <laughs> and Stephanie said, amen. All right. So, oh man, just, I'm wrecked this morning. I, there's just times where I'm, I'm, we're just not going to be put together as ministers. And we, we, we love you all so much. And I know right now, just looking and scanning the room, there are so many of you who are celebrating so many wonderful things. And there are many of you, and I see you, and I know, that are going through a very difficult time. And <laughs> I just, you know, being, having the personality that I have, I knew that there would just be moments where all the feels are in the room, and that's just a lot for me. And I, I'm glad to be up here feeling, weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice this morning. A very unique thought I want to share this morning, and I wanted to start with this, and everything I say after this, fine, remember this. Eric read that text, and there's a lot of things that I could preach about in that text. They asked Jesus, tell us plainly who you are, and we live in a world that wants everything to be simple and practical, but our problems and issues are not simple and they're not practical. And so there really are times where we need a Christianity we don't understand because we don't even understand our own self and our own problems. And I need something more than my own mental capacity to get to the heart of what's going on in my life, amen? And so Jesus will always say, no, I will not tell you plainly. Because if I told you plainly, A, you would think you understand me and then you'd try to control me. And I could have preached on that this morning. <laughs> I'm stopping myself. I could have talked about salvation and what it means that Jesus says, no one can ever snatch the people who the Father has given me out of my hand. You don't know how badly I want to preach about that this morning. But whenever you read a text, it's like facing a situation in life. In any situation that any of you are facing right now, there are things that you can address but then there is something that will call to you. There are things that you can address 
all throughout a situation you're facing. So many things to point out. So many things to discuss between a husband and a wife, between friends, between a financial situation, between an illness you might be dealing with, between depression you might be feeling, whatever it is. There are so many things that you can address. There are so many things that you can address. But then there are, there's, there's, there's one thing or two things that will call to you. And that's what we're supposed to focus on. And oftentimes what calls to you will feel like it's not nearly the thing that you should be saying in the situation or the thing that will fix it or even the thing that makes any kind of sense. But the first thing I want you to know is as the Holy Spirit hovers over your life, which he does, and please know the Bible is right when it says the gifts of God are given without repentance. They're on your life because Jesus put them there. Our behavior doesn't qualify or disqualify us from being used in the Spirit. Jesus was used in the Spirit. Pharaoh was used in the Spirit. Peter was used in the Spirit. Judas was used in the Spirit. Caiaphas was used in the Spirit. James and John were used in the Spirit. Something will call to you. That's what you focus on. Some of you right now, just take a second. You already know in whatever you're facing, there is a particular thought you have, and that's what's calling to you, and it, it might not have any precedent. It might seem like a Hail Mary. It might seem like a long shot. You might think, that's the lazy way out. That's too easy. I need, I need to address something more complicated. If it's calling to you, act on it. This is how he works. And I think we might have stepped a little bit away from one of the most popular words in the history of the church, and that is discernment. You might get it wrong, but that doesn't mean the situation will fail. Because God is not hinged on my ability to hear him, he'd be in trouble a long time ago. Don't amen that. Everybody just agreed so fast. I'm like, the Holy Spirit's not hinging on me, and they're like, yes, best thing you said all day. What called to me in this text was that Jesus went to the Feast of Dedication in Solomon's Temple. There's so many things I want to talk about, but something moved me about the fact that Jesus said, this temple is going to be destroyed. He meant it Figuratively, regarding his body, and he meant it literally, not one stone will be left on top of another. And yet, even though he spent time condemning what was happening in the temple, he went to its dedication, and he cleansed it before he died by driving out the money changers. So how is it that this Jesus who says everything going on in here is wrong still has an affinity and a passion and a zeal for the building itself, not least everything that it represents. That moved me. Because it says at the end of the book of Revelation, at the end of the book of Revelation it says, Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And then it says this, And I saw no temple in the city, 
For its temple is the Lord, God the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. Let's start with that for a moment. In the new heavens and the new earth, and we will talk about this in the years to come, there will be no need for sun or moon because Jesus will be the light of the... So right now, the sun and the moon are given to us as temporary necessities to reveal to us things like, even when it gets dark, Jesus will rise the next morning and the morning after that and the morning after that and the morning after that. And even if there's storms, the sun is still there. It's behind your storm and it will break through the clouds. It's telling us those things. The repetition of day and night, day and night, sunset and daybreak remind us of the liturgy of Jesus always being there for his people. And the moon, and you've heard me say this many times, the moon is not a light, it's a reflection of the sun and it represents the church. Notice there's no such thing as a full sun or a crescent sun because it's always full and perfect. But the moon, which represents us, not a light, but a reflection of the sun, sometimes we're there in full. And sometimes we just look like the fingernail. And sometimes we're not there at all. But even when we're not there, we're there. Because God put us here. And even when you're not shining, you still matter. Even when you're not shining, you're still there. And even when you're not shining, you will shine again. These are things he's telling us because we need to know that. That helps us wait for Jesus to appear again and restore the world. There's something about the day-night repetition that helps us wait for Christ. Reminding us that he will rise, that he has risen, he is rising, and he will rise. Reminding you that even when you're off, you're still there. And you will shine again in this life and the next. But if that's true of the sun and moon, then it's true of the temple too because there are three things that he leaves us with, the temple, the sun, and the moon, that in the new Jerusalem, none of them are there. So that means that this church building is here not as a shrine that will last into eternity, but also not as some consequence that doesn't really matter. It's here. This building is here. Church buildings exist because they remind us of who we are and who we will be. That's why Jesus says it's coming down at some point, but I'm also going to love it and be zealous for it while it's still here, because it's serving a temporal purpose. The temple is serving a temporary purpose. It reminds us of who we are and who we will be. Every minute you walk in, from the minute you step onto this property, it is sacred, it is holy, and it is meant to show you who you are and who you will be, and you're ready, who you are now for everybody you meet when you leave. So let me just throw a few of them at you real fast. Number one, church building forms church people. Three gathering courts we have at Salem Tabernacle. When you get here, You step onto a patio outside, then you walk into a foyer, then you walk into a sanctuary. What's the point of that? There's as much significance to that as there is to the sun, the moon, and the stars. Because 
What the Spirit is telling us is, I have a threefold relationship with you, and I love all of them. Outside, there's this like high by frivolous relationship. This, I know I'll see you again next week. This, I've missed you and I'm happy to see you relationship. That's the kind of relationship you could have with hundreds and hundreds of people. The people who put you in a group text on Thanksgiving morning and you want to kill them. And you don't want to be the guy who leaves the conversation or somebody used an Android and you can't leave the conversation. You're trapped in it forever. That's the outside relationship. And God has that with you. And we're capable of having that with each other. And it's a good relationship to have. But then there's a foyer that you walk into next. And this is a relationship where there's some function and there's stuff we do together. And we're in a space, we're in some boundaries, and we sign up and we volunteer and we, and we know that we're moving to something greater together. See, not everybody you meet outside is the kind of person who's going to be with you all the way on your journey. It doesn't mean they're not worth it. It just means that as you move from a general relationship with people to a little bit of a deeper one, the group gets smaller, but it also gets very potent. Very potent. And you hold each other up, and you do things together, and you, and you journey through life together. And then you come into this room, and you share a holy experience. And that group may be even a little bit smaller. You do realize Jesus had hundreds of followers but then he had 12 foyer, and then he had Peter, James, and John. And that's not wrong. This is not levels. This is the way we're meant to love the world. This is the way that we're meant to interact. We, all of these things matter, and God relates to you on all of those levels. He relates to you like, hey, good morning. He relates to you like, hey, let's do stuff together today. And he relates to you like, I'm going to reveal things to you that you couldn't possibly imagine about what you're going through right now. And he brings us into this room. And so we need to be that for other people. There are some people in your life who just need the high buy. That's what they need. That is what they need. And some of us exhaust ourselves trying to be best friends with people who just need a high buy. Other people need you to just join them and go through life with them. And other people need you to help them hold a spiritual experience. This is who we are for the world. And God lets us see it. When you walk from the parking lot into this room on time, praise the Lord, when you do that, you're enacting, you're replicating, you're remembering your spiritual walk for when you leave here. In this building is a sanctuary that you're in right now. One of the most important rooms, if not the most important room of my life, has been this room. And yet, there's administrative offices down the hall and light bills and a renovation going on downstairs, which we'll talk about in a second, and just administrative stuff. I'm going to become a pastor one day, and I'm just going to read and study. That's what I said. Nope. There's a business to run, an actual business, 501c3. And what does this do? When we walk into this space, what does it do? It reminds us that there needs to be a choreographical relationship with our work and our worship. That the two need to blend. And I almost fell out of my chair when Jen said, on my way to work, because it was absolutely perfect for this. 
because the two become one in the house of God. My work is my worship, and my worship is my work, and when that happens, I might not like my job, but I can love going to work anyway, because it's worship. There has to be a balance. There are some people whose administrative component of your life is much bigger than the sanctuary component of your life. You are a finely tuned machine when it comes to work. Got the budget, got the time, got the rhythm. You know how to say yes, you know how to say no. It's perfectly in order, and oh, by the way, you sometimes go to church when nothing else is going on that weekend. No one here, or a few of you. (laughs) There needs to be a reality in which this room fuels the work. How many know the material world is good? Don't be afraid. How many love to hold a $100 bill in your hand? Come on, let me, let me just let me put on some brand new clothes and you just automatically feel better the minute you put them on. This is okay. Has anybody been there before besides me? Okay. Steve, don't raise your hand. You look good all the time, man. It's ridiculous. Yes, Julian. But how many know there's something called materialism where you're run by that emotion? This is the room where we take what we've earned during the week, the material that we've earned, and we drape it over Jesus. So it takes a shape where we can celebrate the material but not worship the material. Because the Christian who is obsessed with material in a way that is idolatrous is committing the same sin as the Christian who tries to reject all of it. Both people are worshiping material. Either saying, I have to have it or I can't have it, because none of those are what Jesus called us to. He called us to hold it in a way that shows that it's not our ultimate treasure. Spend your money in a way that shows that money is not the thing you value the most. And that ministers to the world and it ministers to your heart. This room is filled with music that is meant to influence our work week. This room is filled with preaching that is meant to fulfill and and push us into our work week. And I'm going to say this very humbly. This room has me in it. I'm here. And I'm a person who is called, one of the lecture texts for today is Psalm 23. I'm a person who's called to nudge you to green pastures, to bring you to still waters when you're getting close to the wolves that make you overwork, to make sure that you don't go anywhere near the valley of the shadow of death. And when I try to tell you and you're like, no, pastor, it's the valley of sun. And I'm like, no, look, it's pitch black in there. And you go anyway. I'm also called to be there when you turn around and say, are you still with me? Why am I called to do that? Because that's who Jesus is for me. And that's who Jesus is for us. And that's who I'm supposed to be for you. And that is who you're supposed to be for every person you're responsible for when you walk out of here. So you need to come in and see that somebody is taking responsibility for you. Because when you leave, you need to know that you take responsibility for others. And you're responsible to lead them gently gently to green pastures. Lead them gently to still waters. Your rod and your staff are not meant to threaten or inflict fear, but to comfort 
a lot of us got that wrong. Your rod and your staff, they comfort. Why didn't my parents learn that? Shoot! Like what? It doesn't say anything about shoes. My parents were quick with that belt, boy. (laughs) Back on. Like, what happened just now? And when the people you're responsible for venture off into the valley of the shadow of death, guess where you're supposed to go? Into it. So that one day they'll say, even when I was here, I shouldn't have feared any evil because... This church won't leave me alone. They're still here. Everything you see is meant to show you who you are when you leave here. And like Jesus, we should have a passion for the place. He sees everything that's wrong with it. He calls out what's wrong with it, and then he goes to its anniversary. And then he drives out what's wrong in it to make it a house of prayer for how many people? all people. There's children's rooms in here, Salem Tabernacle. You want to know how I know this? Because I don't have an office anymore. There's a playpen in my office. And no, that is not a prophecy of who I am, as somebody jokingly said one day. Oh my gosh. Yo, don't pray that the Holy Spirit anoints your children. Don't pray it. God won't anoint you if you ask him, but if you ask him to anoint your kids, he will anoint them to tell you everything you're doing wrong. Don't pray for them. He'll answer that prayer. We need to be a people who live, who create an environment conducive for children, who don't try to create children conducive for adults. Somebody said to me, your children should be the kind of children that adults like being around. No. That's horrible. Cannot begin to tell you. Ugh. That's not cool. Let me say this. If you're the kind of person who's obsessed with everything always being clean, then you're not a person obsessed with letting children be themselves. Walk into my house right now. It looks like we've been robbed. (laughs) And the robber just took everything out and put it on the floor (laughs) and left. He can't even get in trouble. But if you're the kind of person who's always okay with a mess, you're also not creating an environment where children can be themselves either. And I mean that literally, and I also mean that in your own life. If you're not okay with any mess in your life, you're not letting your inner child out, and Jesus wants the inner child to come out. If you OCD over everything that's wrong in your life, and you can't be calm until everything in your heart is right, you have lost the ability to be a child. And God wants you to be a child. He wants space in your space where your inner child can live, can breathe, can teach you things. Where the actual children around you, whether in your home or outside of your home or wherever, want to be where you are. 
where your inner child wants to be where you are. The two offices in this floor, on this floor of this building, that are the most authoritative offices, mine all the way down the hall and our previous pastors right here off the foyer, are now, right now, at this moment, they are children's rooms. And that is a message to me about the kind of authority we are supposed to wield in this building. A kind of authority that makes children feel safe. And that's who we're supposed to be when we leave here. The kind of authorities that make actual children feel safe and make the child in us feel safe to come out and play for a while. There's a renovation going on downstairs. Super expensive. Things aren't cheap right now. Do you know that? And everybody keeps saying, why did you choose to do the renovation now? Why did you choose to do the... Didn't plan on having a flood. One more person says it. Yeah, man, Pastor, you should have waited. Well, the flood should have waited. But how many know that a catastrophic event shows you where the leaky areas of your life are? It's not just about getting through a storm. It's also about seeing where there's flooding in your life. It's about seeing where water's supposed to be that it's not and where water shouldn't be and it is. It's about realizing that even though the wall looks good, behind it is probably not something good. I always thought that what we would do now as third or fourth generation pastors, my wife and I, is that we would build and we would renovate in a way that is building on the foundation. I didn't know that we'd keep going back to it. And then it dawns on me, the Holy Spirit says to me one day, the only way you move forward is by continually going back to the foundation and shoring it up again. You don't just move on from it. You need to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace because without maintenance, unity breaks down. Church life breaks down. Romance in the marriage breaks down. Health breaks down. It needs to be maintained. It needs to be lit again. The spark needs to come back again. There needs to be those things. When you go back to the foundation, Jesus says to us, after everything you're going to do, two millennia, year, 2,000 years later, you, I still want you coming back to the very foundation of what I've offered you. Because if you don't come back here, you're going to build so far away that when this starts to get cracked up, all that is going to come down around it. There are some of you right now, God is working on things in you from a long time ago. I'm going to tell you something very deep right now. Some of you, since COVID, have been reminded of things from long ago, because you sat and set, you, you settled for a while. We lost the narcotic of busyness, and now we've thought about things. There are things that happened to you a long time ago, good and bad, that your body, because it's made by the Holy Spirit, said in that moment, I can't talk to you about this now. You're not ready to hear everything I have to say about what just happened to you. And then 30 years later, you're just minding your own business, watching a TikTok. Tic-tacs, what's it called, Dom? And all of a sudden, this memory floods back to you, and you're like, what's going on in my life? Because right in that moment, your body just said, you're now ready for the conversation I wanted to have 30 years ago. 
the Holy Spirit waits for you to be strong enough to go back to a foundational moment and revisit it. It's expensive. It's expensive, just like downstairs. It takes a lot of people, just like downstairs. It doesn't go as planned, just like downstairs. You lose some space that you once had. But he's shoring up things that have been cracked that you never even knew about. The blessing of the renovation downstairs wasn't that insurance covered certain parts. That is a huge blessing. But because they gutted the walls, we were able to see where other problems exist, that if we didn't fix it once the walls were open, it could have been disastrous. And that's been able to be fixed because there was a flood and because there was a gutting that was covered, we were able to go and fix other things that were uncovered that hardly anybody knew were a problem. And they're fixed, and we're creating a space for our children down there that's going to be one of the best spaces they've had in 30-plus years. Don't assess, don't assess the renovation going on in your life, and don't think something's wrong with you if something you thought you put together a long time ago was turning up cracked. It's just the next part of God's face. There's nothing wrong. He eases you through your own healing. We want twinkling of an eye healing. You know, uh, Dan Cahill and I talk about this all the time. There's a reason why when Jesus is about to heal people, sometimes he says, what do you want me to do for you? Well, obviously, I can't see. And Jesus is saying, what do you want me to do for you? Because when I heal you, it's going to put a new weight on your life. And sometimes Jesus passed by that blind person for years and then walked by him one day and said, they're ready now. But their healing would have hurt them three years ago. Don't assess where you're at. Trust the Holy Spirit. You're in the palm of his hand wherever you are. And finally, and we can stand to our feet this morning. And let, let me just say right there. Let me just say right there. That renovation is taking a lot of people to do right and to do well. Sometimes you're going to leave here and you need to hold the renovation going on in somebody else's life for them. Your job isn't to renovate them. Your job isn't to do the fixing. Your job is to be there with them and let them know that God is at work in this. You don't always have to be the contractor in somebody's life making the decisions. Sometimes you just need to be company. You just need to be a person in their life saying, oh man, I know that, that sawdust is crazy, but he, he's in it. I know, I know another bill came in, he's, he's going to provide. I know a worker showed up that didn't show up today that was supposed to be there, he's, he's got you. I know this is taking longer than you wanted it to, but he, sometimes we just need to be that for people. Just with them in their renovation. Well, how do we become those people? There are two altars in this room. There is the throne of grace, and there is the Lord's table. When the church first started in the book of Acts, about 100 years after the book of Acts, they never said, we're gonna plant a church. The phrase they used was, we're going to go to Corinth, and we're going to build an altar. We're going to go to Galatia, and we're going to build an altar. 
we're going to go to Ephesus and we're going to build an altar. It wasn't called church planting. It was called building altars. Steve, uh, you, you, you had a joke when I was at your house the other day where somebody handed you like uh, one of those filters that goes on a faucet and said, hey, build, build me a house around this tiny little component. Literally, Jesus said, here's, here's a meal. Now build a church around it. Build something. Build a structure around this. That is a holy space that gets you ready to come here. We are altered at the altar. We are changed at the altar. The throne of grace and the throne of feeding. When people leave your life, will they leave saying, I was just at a throne of grace? Or were they at a throne of judgment? Were they at a throne of grace? Or were they at a throne of Bible thumping? Were they at a throne of grace? Or were they at a throne that stripped them down and pointed out all their flaws? Did they leave full of holy food? Or did they leave empty? We're going to leave here today clothed and in our right mind. Because Jesus is slow with us. Gentle with us and patient with us. We're going to leave here full on the smallest meal. Because this, these wafers are like a mustard seed that are so small and you leave so full. But this is who we're supposed to be for the world out there. When somebody enters, when somebody approaches you, when somebody walks up to you literally, not even metaphorically, literally, when somebody walks up to your life, they are walking up to an altar. Will it be grace or will it be condemnation? Will they be exhausted by you? Or will they be full of energy? Well, pastor, I might have to drape some of myself over that cross if they're going to leave full of the spirit and not punched in the face. Then drape yourself. That's why you come here. That's why Jesus still went to a temple he knew would be torn down one day because it got him ready for his moment. How much more do we need it? everything in here. I could have preached 20 more sermons about what's going on in here. Everything in here teaches us to wait for until Jesus would hurry up one day and fulfill everything. But it teaches us to wait. And we are most formed by these words. Our Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed he enacted what it means to be the church. He enacted what it means. Everything we will ever learn in this building are enacted in these words. This is my body, which is broken and given to you. And this is my blood, which is spilled for you. And I've done it for the forgiveness of your sins. And I've invited you to this table as much as you need to be here. And when you're not here and the one sheep gets away, I will go get you and I will bring you here. And I will take you to myself. And you will be with me forever. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you descend on this bread and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus. The food and drink of new an unending life in him. And sanctify us also 
that having been in this sacred space, we might leave here with everything that we've learned that's been dropped into our spirit, poured out for the life of the world, and as soon as we're empty, we look forward to being able to come back here next week. But I pray that you would empty us out this week, that we would end Saturday night empty of everything that we learned and were taught so that we have to come back just like you wanted them to run out of manna each night so they have to trust you again the next day. Help us to not rebuke our run out. This is for somebody. Help us to not rebuke our run out, but to see our run out as an invitation to come back. Some of you are upset because you've run out of something. And God is saying, don't see it as you having run out. See it as me inviting you back. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. I'm going to ask Elder Bill, and I'm going to ask Elder George uh, if he would. Elder Bill, I'll hand you this plate, and you could be over there. Elder George, I'll hand you the other one, you could be over there. Come down. If you're on this side of the church, you can receive the bread. This side of the church, you can receive the bread. Just worship. Just that, that, that buffet of information that we just threw out there. Just receive what was for you. Meditate on it. And, and just let the Holy Spirit hover over you this morning. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.